Christmas Day 2021, the James Webb Telescope was launched. It's been about a month traveling through space. Um, it, it, it established itself a million miles from the Earth's atmosphere. There's a place there where the gravitational pull of the Earth and the Sun kind of neutralize each other, and it kind of sits there. It's taking images. Um, 2023 was the first full year where those images have been streaming in. And I love to look at these images from the, the, the Webb Telescope, from the Hubble as well. I want to show you three of those. We'll put the first one on the screen if we can. It's one of the brightest stars in our galaxy. Uh, it's called a wolf rayet star. It, it's very rare. Only one out of 50 million stars is, is in that classification. It's 20 to 40 times the heat of our sun. Just think about that for a little bit, how hot that is. It, it's a short-living star because it's so brilliant. It burns so bright, and it's magnificent. Just you just kind of lose yourself in that image. I love that. The second image is a cluster of 700 stars. This is about 1,000 light years from Earth. Now, a light year is the distance that you travel if you were going the speed of light in one year. This is 1,000 years of light travel. You know, it's remarkable. Those wispy waves are created by dust that reflects the light of those stars about 700 stars in this constellation. The loop shape is caused by the gusting solar winds blowing from our vantage point west to east. I love how it makes an infinity loop. Think about that. The heavens declare the glory of God. And all this is just out there. And I want to show you one more as well. This is the Rho Ophiuchi cloud complex, 460 light years from Earth, which by the way, that's basically in our backyard by universe standards, 460 light years away. This is a place where new stars are formed. I don't even really know what that means, you know? How would a new star become formed, you know? But, but th this is where that's happening, apparently, and, and it's just amazing. It's, it's beautiful. It's fascinating. And Here's what I thought about as I gazed at all these images and, and many more. All that's been there. Since the, the beginning of, of human history, those things and, you know, all the other millions and billions of things out there in space, it's just been there, but we've not been able to see it until literally the last few years. It's been out there, but we haven't had the technology. To see. We haven't had the eyes to see, if you can think of it that way. And, and I was thinking about that because that's what the Bible is, in essence. The, the Bible is revelation of things that are there, things that are true, that, that we don't have, our physical eyes cannot see that. With, with, without this, without God revealing himself to us, without this instrument, this tool that he uses to, to speak to us, we can't see what is there. And then I thought more specifically, chapter 17 of John is like a powerful telescope into the deep things of God. John chapter 17, you know, all the scripture is God's revelation, but there's something about hearing God pray to God. Jesus, who's God the Son, praying to God the Father. And we have an entire chapter, John 17, it's just the prayer of Jesus. I think it's interesting that Jesus had, had only, you know, prayed in front of his disciples, I think in short bursts prior to this. You know, he taught them the, the Lord's Prayer and that was his instruction to them to teach. They heard him pray on occasion, a couple little things here and there, but right at the end of his life, in fact, this is the, the last time he has with them before he's arrested and crucified. He just says, I want you to hear me pray. I want, I want you into my heart, in essence. I'm gonna share the conversation that I'm having with God the Father about everything, you know, about the universe, in essence, about the church in specific, and about our plan. 
It's a fascinating look into the deep things of God. And today we are closing out our five-week study in John chapter 17. And next week, we'll move on to John 18, which is really where the passion narrative begins. You know, we'll, we'll find out what happens when Jesus finishes this prayer and goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane. Last week, Larry uh, covered several verses, did a wonderful job. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and watch it online or listen to it. This week, we're gonna pick up where he left off. We're gonna cover these last three verses of the prayer, which Emily already read to you. And we're gonna look through this telescope one last time together in this chapter. We're gonna see two things, two amazing things this morning. The first is Jesus's desire. Jesus's desire. How interesting to think about what's in the heart of Christ. What does Jesus desire? And the second thing is our future, our future. We're gonna really gaze into both of those things deeply. And why do we look at these things? So that they will change us. So with that said, I'm gonna reread verse 24 and we'll just focus on this. This is where we'll see Jesus' desire. We'll put it on the screen as well and then we'll explain Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What'll get us started, dig into this verse is this word right here, they. Who is the they referring to? Well, if you glance back up at verse 20, you get the reference to the they of of our verse In verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. So let me explain that. Up through verse 19, Jesus was praying specifically for the 11 disciples that were with him. You say, well, why 11, not 12? Judas has already left. Judas has already gone out to betray Jesus and there are 11 disciples remaining. And Jesus is specifically praying for them. But in verse 20, it changes. And the focus of his prayer changes from the 11 to the whole church. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't put any parameters. He doesn't say, I'm praying for the next generation who will believe in me through their word or or the three generations that follow. It's the whole church who will believe in Christ through the testimony of the disciples, which was written down in the New Testament. The, The books of the New Testament, right, are all connected to the apostles' witness. Now, that means he's talking about us. He's praying about us. And I love that fact about this prayer because it means we were on the heart of Jesus Christ. We were on the mind of Jesus Christ right as he was entering into his suffering, right as he was going about to go into the Garden of Gethsemane and wrestle through the calling of the Father and what all that meant for him. We were on his mind. And so if you think about it, this prayer is maybe the most relevant part of the whole scripture in some ways because this is God talking to God about us. I just think that's marvelous. And in this prayer, you know, he's hinting here. He's hinting at what's going on that's beyond what our natural eyes can see. And and so the first thing that we're gonna see together is Jesus' desire. Notice what Jesus' desire is. I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. That they may be with me where I am. This is the only time in this amazing prayer of Jesus that he expressly says, this is what I want. Now, you can imply his desire by the other things he asked the Father about, but but then he gets to this place right near the end and he just says, Father, I wanna make it very clear. This is what I want. 
this is what I desire. This is what I'm asking you to grant, that they may be with me where I am. Now, when he says with me where I am, I think there's two ways to understand that, and they're both right. The first is physically, with me where I am physically. Jesus is saying, I desire that, that all the people that are gonna come to believe in me, in all the whole church, that, that, that they're gonna be with me, that they're gonna be physically present with me. And, and why do we know that he's talking about a physical presence? Well, if you jump back, you don't have to turn there, but back in chapter 14, which was really the beginning of this upper room conversation, the same conversation that closed in this prayer, Jesus said to his disciples this, he said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And then an hour or so later, as he's closing this conversation in prayer, he says, Father, my desire is that all of them may be with me where I am. You see the connection back to that. It's gonna be a physical place. We're gonna be with Jesus physically. The whole church will be. But there's another way to understand this that I think is also true, that they may be with me where I am relationally. And this fits the theme, the immediate context of the prayer. Jesus has been praying for oneness. He's been praying for unity with, with the church with itself, but, but more importantly, unity with God himself. So if we are to be with Jesus where he is relationally, where is Jesus relationally? Well, remember, he's a part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. As we understand God, this is what the scripture teaches us, that God is one, but he's also three. God is one being in three eternal persons. And those three eternal persons, since before time began, have been relating to each other. We don't tend to think about that God, God that way, but we should. Sometimes I think we, we overemphasize the oneness of God and, and we sort of think, well, you know, Jesus is just a manifestation of God or a mode of God. No, 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 no. Jesus is, is a person. The Father is a person. The Son is a person. So by the way, I often hear people, and then myself sometimes, I'll kind of slip into this. We'll, we'll talk about God, Jesus, and the Spirit. It's not quite accurate to say it that way. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, God is the unity of those three. God is the community of the three eternal persons that is the Trinity. And they've been relating to each other. And we know their relationship is glorifying one another. We learned that from the first few verses of the prayer. And we learned that glory is in essence an exchange of love. Because what do you do when someone, if you love someone, and you fall in love with someone, you can't help but praise them. You can't help but just tell them, yeah, I just appreciate you. You can't help but want to serve them. When you love someone, you, what, what do you need? Let me serve you. I, 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 want, I want to lift you up, you see. That's an exchange of glory that's happening in a love relationship. And so from eternity past, this three-person community of love that is God has been mutually glorifying each other. And, and, and again, that takes us back to the beginning of the prayer. But Jesus comes back to this at the end because he says, I want them to be with me where I am, physically and relationally. Check out this next part to see my glory. And then notice he's gonna connect glory to love. The glory you've given me and your love for me because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. So we can see the connection 
between glory and love. And so here's how I want to put this together for you. Hopefully this will be clear. The desire of Jesus is that we would be with him to see up close and personal the full expression of love that is the essence of God. Imagine being able to see the blazing glory of the love of God radiating between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. Jesus is essentially saying, Father, I I want them to, to be with me physically, relationally, where I am, so their eyes would be opened to see the full glory of love. And by the way, I'll just pause here and say, you were designed for this. You, you, are, you are drawn toward love like a moth is drawn toward light. That's why you seek out friendships and why you seek out you know, love relationships of all different kinds. It's, it's why from the very first moment, your first cry is, is, is for the mother who gave you birth. You, know, you, just, you, you, you wanna not be alone. You wanna be brought into love. I told my wife, I was working on this message. I went, just went to her, she was in the kitchen. I just said, John 17 is blowing my mind. And I, and I caught her out of context because, you know, she was making spaghetti or whatever. And she was, she was just like, okay, you know, it's like, tell me more about that, you know, and I, and I couldn't express it. And, and so the struggle that I've had in this message as I've been trying to write this is how do you, how do you communicate things that, that, that are so beyond description? And obviously we have the words Jesus gave us and they give us a glimpse, like, just like that telescope gives us a glimpse. But do you all understand, you know, we've been in this prayer together five weeks and, and I, I hope that you've seen this or even this morning, maybe you'll see it. Do y'all understand that the whole point of this prayer is Jesus talking to the Father about their plan for us to be brought into the union of God himself, the oneness of, of the tri-person community of love that is God. God's plan is for us to enter union with the Trinity. Now, I don't know what that looks like. It doesn't mean we're going to become God, by the way. And it doesn't mean we're going to lose our individual personalities, by the way. That's not the image of the end times that Scripture gives. But, but it, it, it definitely means that we're going to be united in a way that we have not yet fully experienced. And So maybe I'd say it this way. If Jesus' prayer is answered, and, and I, don't you know it's going to be answered, right? the Father is going to answer the prayer of the Son. If Jesus' prayer is answered, somehow we will be unified with one another and with God in such a degree that perfect, the perfect happiness and wholeness that defines God will be known by us. We're going to experience, we're, we're, we're going to be up close and personal with the perfect happiness and wholeness that defines God himself, this, this community of love. That, this is remarkable to me. So, so this is the first thing we see in the telescope. We, we gaze through and we see the desire of Jesus is for us to be brought in to this union, this oneness that is God himself. The thing that he's been experiencing since before time began, he wants us to experience. This is amazing. The second thing we see is our future. Now, I've already been talking about our future, haven't I? Jesus has already been talking about our future. He has. But let's dig a little bit deeper in the next two verses. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name 
and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Oh, first of all, when he says the world doesn't know you, but I know you, what, what, what is he talking about? Well, God had been revealing himself through the scripture. The Old Testament is part of God's revelation. God had been revealing himself through the creation itself, the creation itself, the heavens declare the glory of God, the creation has been revealing God. But Jesus here, he's talking about a knowledge that transcends those things. And he's saying, I know you. And the word, the word know if you trace it back to the Hebrew, which Jesus would have been speaking either in Hebrew or Aramaic in their very related languages, the word know doesn't just mean intellectual knowledge. It means relational intimacy. It's the word in Hebrew they would use for the relationship between a husband and a wife, the, 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 even the physical intimacy of that, that, that connects us to this deepest possible intimacy that we can have with another person. And so he's saying, I've been intimately connected with you. I know you in this way. The world doesn't know you in this way, but I know you. And then he says to, to these, my disciples, they know that I'm from you. They know that I'm speaking from you. I've made known your name to them. Now, that doesn't mean there was a secret name of God that Jesus whispered in their ears. It's an expression. It means I've made you known. I've made your essence known. I've made your being known. I, I like the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and I'll continue to make it known. What Jesus is saying here, you all, is my purpose was to take that intimate knowledge, relational knowledge that I have with you, Father, since before time began and make that known, make you known, make your heart known, make you known in a way that the creation itself can't reveal. And even the words of your word can't fully reveal. I will come and reveal it to them in the flesh. By the way, I'd never seen this before until we've been diving into John 17 the last four or five weeks. But the themes of John 17, the themes of Jesus's prayer permeate the entire gospel of John. And as I thought about that, I was like, that's interesting. That tells me that, that this prayer meant a lot to John. I think that tells me that he meditated on this prayer, that, that he thought about this prayer. And then when he sat down years later to write his gospel, the themes of Jesus' prayer were interwoven throughout his writing of it, his telling of it. So if you go back to John chapter one, which is the words of John, the disciple, it's a prologue for the whole book. It introduces the themes of the whole book. The theme of Jesus making God known to us shows up. And it says in John chapter one, no one's ever seen God, but he made himself known through the one. You know, he made himself known through Jesus Christ who has come and has dwelt with us. So what we have here is, is we have this revelation in the person of Jesus, uh, of, of the heart of God, the, the love of God. Jesus' love come to earth to show us who God 
is. But I want to point this to your future because I said the second thing we'll see through the telescope is our future. So what does knowing God and, and the revelation of God that comes to Jesus, what does that have to do with our future? Everything, everything, it is our future. And I, and I want to, to show you this. If you look back to early in chapter 17, this is what Jesus says. And this is the, the second sentence of his prayer. This is verse three of chapter 17. He says, just listen to this and think about your future. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. Here it is, that they know you and they know me. This is what Jesus is saying. Knowing God, y'all, is the key to eternal life and is the essence of eternal life. So it's the key to eternal life in that you've got to know God through the Son in order to get in. That's what opens the door, <laughs> putting your faith in Jesus, like saying Jesus is God in the flesh. I believe that's true, and I believe that what he did, he did for me. That opens the door to you entering into eternal life. But it's not just the key to eternal life. It's the essence of eternal life. This is eternal life, that they know you. Relational intimacy with God. That's eternal life. That's your future. Now, when I say that, I just know there's some in the room, probably most in the room, but there's a little part of you that's disappointed. It's like, oh man, I guess that sounds good, but like, I like food, you know? I like uh, vacations. I, I like adventure. <laughs> I, I like money. I, I like entertainment. It's like knowing God, yeah, that's good. Listen, our eternity of, of living in perfect intimacy with God is not gonna be some ethereal thing. It's not gonna be, we're not gonna be just like brought into this um, you know, cosmic oneness and we cease to actually be physical people. Scripture says we're gonna have bodies. We're going to have resurrected bodies. You know, I have hopes for mine. <laughs> we are going to be living on a new earth. This new earth will have all the beauty and more that our current earth has. It will be untainted by sin. Selfishness won't be there. So the picture we get in Revelation, although it's just a brief picture, it's talking about rivers and, and trees and a city. And I think it will connect to our core purpose to be image bearers of God on this new earth. I think we will be doing work that fits us like a glove. I think we will be singing and feasting together. And I think we'll be tasting things we've never tasted and seeing things we've never seen. It's gonna be a glorious adventure. And it is gonna be physical. So don't get in your mind anything apart from that. But the point of Jesus' prayer here is the best part of all is your relational intimacy with God himself. That's gonna be the core of it. So what makes an adventure great? Doing it with people you love. What makes a, a, a book wonderful? Ex telling of it, expressing of it, sharing it. What makes a song beautiful? The, the shared expression, you see. 
Our future is going to be this incredible oneness with each other as we're together in the oneness of God. This is the picture of our future that John 17 is describing, and it is breathtaking. Now, there's one more layer of this that I want to look at this morning because Jesus tells us the reason for all of it. He tells us the reason. He gives us the why. And, and when, I, when I say the why, well, the easiest way maybe to understand it is why was Jesus so invested in, in making God known? If, if Jesus' mission was to make God known, boy, every breath he took was toward that end, you know, even going all the way to the cross, like he, he took it all the way to make the heart of God known to us. Why was he so invested in making Jesus known? Well, here, here's the, the answer to that question. So that, the scripture says, the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. <laughs> Last week, Larry talked about the idea, you know, back from, from verse, I guess it was verse 23, Larry talked about the idea that in Christ, we get the same love that the Father has for the Son. That same love is ours. What an amazing truth. Jesus is, is saying that same thing here, but he's taking it to another level. And let me show you why that's true. He's not just saying that the love that you have for me might be seen by them or even known by them or even tasted by them. Nope. He says, the love with which you've loved me, baby, in them. That it would permeate us. It would pierce us. It would invade us. It would fill us. You ever had one of those moments, you're, you're, you're with someone that you care about deeply and, and, and maybe you give them a hug and there's this strange feeling that, that you just want them to, to sort of be absorbed into you. You ever felt that? You ever been around a, a little kid, you know, a child or a grandchild or something, you just, you're just hugging them and they're just so wonderful. You, you, you say, I just want to eat you up. What a frightening thing to say to a little kid. <laughs> but what are you meaning by that? It's, it's, just, I, it's like, it's, it's beyond words. I, I, I just want to consume you. I want you to be inside of me, you see. This is what Jesus is praying for. That the greatest thing in the universe would, would be in us. That, that we would be able to to, to consume it, that it would so fill us, that it would pervade us, it would permeate us. So Jesus' desire in our future come together in this thing, do they not? His desire is for this, and our future is this. Jesus' desire is, say it this way, for us to have what he's had since before the earth began. That, that our eternal future would look a lot like his eternal past. Oneness with God himself, the, 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 the love of God permeating us. You might even think about it this way. Jesus' desire is to share his glory with us. What a future. 
to say this to you as we begin to uh, apply these amazing things. The thing that Jesus is praying for has got to be the greatest thing in the universe. It, it, it has to. It has to. What else could possibly compete with it? Now, as I thought about that question in the last couple of weeks, I thought, what else could possibly compete with it? Well, <laughs> I sure would love my family to be full and whole. You know, I would love for my marriage to, to grow and, and my relationship with Jody to, to, to be closer to what I would hope for. I wouldn't mind having a little more money. If I'm, you know, who wouldn't? Um, you, you, might, you might say, I, I wouldn't mind having a career that I could love, you know? It's something that I've always wanted to do, just a, a dream. Or, you know, I, I wouldn't mind having a, a little bit of fame, you know? Not too much fame, because that does bad things, but just the right amount of fame. Or I, I wouldn't imagine being able to, I, I wouldn't mind being able to make an impact in this world and, and, and leave a legacy, you see? These things that are the deep desires of our heart, you know, you could go on and on with yours. But do you see that all those things that you and I want are just tiny little pieces of the real thing? They're, they're, they're just little tiny pieces of peace. God himself is peace. Tiny little pieces of joy. Joy permeates the relationship of the Trinity. It's, it's him. It comes from him. Tiny little pieces of love. God is love. Tiny little pieces of hope. Tiny, you see, it could go on and on and on. They're, they're these things that you and I desire, the deepest parts of it, they're, they're, they're just little, little pieces of glory. You know, they're, they're, they're just little derivatives. If you could actually grasp what Jesus is describing here, it, if, if you could understand, if, if you, you could hold on to it, receive it, hope in it, it would so fill you with joy, peace, and happiness that you'd say, there's nothing else I need. There's nothing else I need to be full, to be whole, because I'm learning what it means to be in God and God in me, in Christ, Christ in me, in the spirit as the spirit is in me. I'm learning what it means to walk just a little bit in part in relational oneness. What we know now in part, we will know then in whole. But our best moments here on earth are little tastes of it, little tastes of glory. About a week and a half ago, our oldest daughter, who's off at college, she sent a text message to me and Jody, and she said, hey, can, can we schedule a FaceTime call? And, you know, we, we, we usually FaceTime individually, but she wanted us both together at the same time. So I thought, hmm. It's either something really good or something really bad. <laughs> Don't, didn't know which way that was going to go. Now, you know, um, our daughter has been struggling for quite a long time, six or eight months. She's, she's gone through some really difficult relational times, emotional times, struggled with faith. Um, and, and most recently, even her friend group at school, she's a freshman at Lee University. Her friend group was really having some relational rifts in the group. And so she's been in a really difficult place. So we got on that FaceTime call, not knowing what she was going to share with us. And she said, I want to tell you about what happened at a worship service last night on our campus. And of course, I was like, well, this can only be good. You know, this is worship service. It sounds great. 
And she said, it was the final night of our you know, spiritual formation week that we've been having at school. And, and she said, I just felt like I wanted to talk to God about some things. So I went up front and I started praying. And she said, the longer I prayed, I just really started, the, the right things just started pouring out of me. I started talking to God about some things. I started repenting of some things. I just started getting right with God. And then she said, while I was praying, I felt an arm around my shoulder. And I looked up and there was one of my friends. It was part of this friend group that had the brokenness in it. And, 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 they, and, and, and they came and prayed for me and we were praying together. And then before long, I felt some other arms around my shoulder and I, and I looked up and the whole friend group was down there and they were praying for me and they were praying with me. And then she said these words, this is an exact quote. She said, mommy and daddy, I had a perfect moment. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? I had a perfect moment. Why did, why? Why did that feel like a perfect moment? She was experiencing relational unity with God and relational unity with her friends, those she loves, her fellow believers in Jesus. And I thought, what a great picture of Jesus' prayer. What a great picture of John chapter 17. Thank you, God, for giving my daughter a little glimpse, a perfect moment. And I thought about moments in my life that I might look back on and just say, that's about as close to a perfect moment as I've ever had. And you know what? It has the same theme. It's, it's oneness with God, oneness with people. It's unity. It's, it's this sense that, that I'm in the place where I belong relationally, that I'm connected to what is real and what is true and these people that I care for and love that we're together and and we don't experience a lot of that on this earth. But when you have those little tastes, those little moments, it feels real, doesn't it? It feels right. It feels whole. That's Jesus' desire. And that's our future. I want that now to lead us to the Lord's Supper, lead us to the table. So go ahead and take out your communion elements. We picked them up on the way in. Now, I want to make a connection here to our text that's been very powerful for me. And so go ahead, don't, don't eat the elements yet, but just go ahead and take out the, the little piece of bread and just hold it in your hands. And, and by the way, this is for all who put your trust in Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you believe he, he came from God, that he is the revelation of God on this earth and that he died and was resurrected for you, you're in, you're in this community of love. And so we want to invite you to be in with us and to participate with us in this. We call this the Lord's Supper. We call this the Lord's Table. We also call this communion. I want to talk about that word. That's an interesting word, isn't it? It has the word common in it, and it has the word union in it. This is what we hold in common that unifies us. And so if you look around the room, there are many people in this room that you don't know. Most in this room you don't know, I'm sure. No one in this room knows most people in the room, I'm guessing. And yet, we have this in common, and this creates a union. In just a couple of minutes, we'll all be tasting the same things. Our minds will be on the same person, the same purpose together as we eat the communion. It also strikes me that there are millions of people around the world this weekend that will also be taking communion, 
receiving communion. This unifies us with them, all the people from all over the world who put their trust in Jesus Christ. This also unifies us with all the people of Christ through all time. What we're doing this morning, although it's been done in a lot of different ways and a lot of different cultures, it's the same essence. It, it points us to the same sacrifice. It, it, it's bread and it's grapes, juice or wine. The church for 2,000 years, unbroken, has made this the center point of their worship. It unifies us with that. And even more importantly, it unifies us with Jesus himself. He's the one who initiated this. He's the one that started it. Wasn't it kind of him to give us something tangible? Wasn't it sweet that in the same conversation that he would pray for this kind of oneness, this kind of unity, he would give us something that could bring us together with each other and with him? This is what we're doing in this moment. We're remembering that we are one with God through Christ and we are one with each other in Christ. So let us eat the bread with gladness. And let us also drink the cup with gladness. Father, in your great love, you sent the Son to be the full expression of love on this earth, to give us just a glimpse of what a human being fully at rest in the love of his Father would live like, would be like, would speak like. And that expression rescued us. Jesus Christ has rescued us and has brought us into union with you. And the gift of the Spirit that comes in us through faith is you in us. And so even in this moment, a little glimpse we have as, as we eat the bread and drink the cup together, a perfect moment. Union with God, union with each other. We thank you for that expression. And I pray, Father, that the truths that you have shown us in your word through this prayer of Jesus, that it would transform us, that it would create in us a, a new vision of God, a more complete vision of God and who you are and what the desire of Jesus is. And I pray, Father, that it would root out selfishness in us, that we would learn to give ourselves to you and to one another. That the soil of our lives would be turned over, that the seed of the gospel planted in that soil would grow and bear fruit, the fruit of love, the fruit of the spirit, the, 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 the fruit of all those things that the world needs, and that that fruit would point to Jesus Christ. And I pray for those in this room who do not yet have a relationship with you or just sense a brokenness, God, in their relationship with you. Would you, in your great kindness, would you open their eyes? Would they receive? Would they be able to change and grow and repent in areas that you would call them to so that they would have faith to believe that on the other side of this life is true life, is fullness. And Father, I ask for us, all of us here in this room, you would give us a desire 
to grow and know you more and love you and love one another. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.